Welcome to the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, June 3rd, and happy start to the 4th of July weekend. And here's something to ponder while you fire up your barbecue. As you look around at the nation's day, how proud are you to be an American? Well, the Gallup organization has been asking folks that question every June for the past 20 years. And this year, only 63% of respondents said they were either very or extremely proud. And that's a record low. So what is going on? Is this a function of today's various crises? Is it Donald Trump? Or is it the result of a decades-long campaign to change the way we view our history, our founding documents, and the very idea of America itself? And this all takes place against a shifting political landscape that includes a visit to Mount Rushmore by President Trump today and a rare press conference by Joe Biden earlier this week where he addressed the topic of tearing down monuments. Joining me to talk about all this are some of my colleagues from Real Clear Politics, co-founder and president Tom Bevan, and Washington Bureau Chief Carl Cannon, and we're joined by the editor-in-chief of Gallup and host of the Gallup podcast, Mohammed Yunus. So Mohammed, let me start with you. This poll from Gallup has gotten a lot of attention. What does it say about the state of American patriotism today? Um, it really says that we're at a a relative low point. Um, it's interesting as we were uh, getting ready for this, I noticed that our article on this exact item last year almost had the exact same headline, which is record low. So this has been a trend um, heading in the wrong direction, I think, for most Americans. Uh, what's noticeable this time, at least on these metrics, is Republican pride has also dipped. So the rate of Republicans that say they're extremely proud of being American was 76% last year. It's down to 67% this year. One of the really shocking things, I think, to look at, um, if you look at the non-white rate, from 2016, 45% of people in America who were non-white said they were extremely proud to be American. That 45% now has crumbled down to 24%. And that was one of the things that really struck me as I was reading this and and when we were working on this piece together as a team. But, you know, you really got to a really interesting point, Andy, which is why. And I think the answer is not really clear yet. One of the things that was really interesting last year is we actually also asked, what makes you proud to be an American? Like, not just are you proud, but what about America makes you proud? Six in 10 Americans said that the political system in their country does not make them proud to be American, which is probably not a surprise to us here. But the things that came in at the very top, like 90 plus percent of Americans, were things like scientific innovation, uh, technology, multiculturalism, etc. So with what's happening with COVID, especially now this week, with the rebound in the virus a contraction rate, I don't want to outrule that also as a factor in how Americans feel about their country as they've seen their country uh, really struggle to deal with this pandemic. So, Carl, what do you make of those numbers? I mean, and Mohan points out, pretty slow decline, but steady since really 9-11, where it was sort of at a record high. But it has dipped since 2017 when Donald Trump became president. Well, I would add one thing to what Mohammed said, because the, the the non-white um, numbers are stark. The other numbers in that story that that he mentioned uh, um, on the Gallup site is uh, the young people. You know, those numbers have gone down. In 2016, 18 to 29 year olds were 34 percent. Now that's 20 percent. And if you look a little closer, um, Muhammad was smart. Was 
was savvy enough to break it between college graduate, non-college graduate, uh, not, not a college graduate, 54% in 2016, now 46%. College graduates, 47% uh, are proud to be American in 2016, now 34%. And if you combine that with those, with those young people, you get a picture that maybe these conservatives who are blaming higher education are onto something. So you're sending your, your kids to college. You're spending money you don't have uh, for going your own retirement. Um, they're racking up huge debts and they get out and they have all this debt. And they've also been imbued for four years with anti-Americanism. <laughs> you know, that's that's the stereotype. But there's right. some there's something in these numbers that kind of suggests maybe that's uh, that's not just completely wrong. Yeah, Tom, Tom, we had a piece on the site today. It's a poll by the Young Americans for Freedom. It was published in USA Today, or at least the article was. And to Carl's point, 88% of high school students say they were very or somewhat favorable to the U.S., uh, 69% for college students. 91% of high school students were very or somewhat favorable towards the American flag. 73% for college students. And as you went through this sort of list of questions, it was consistently about a 20% drop in your level of support for sort of American things if you were in college. I mean, it's a little scary, don't you think? I mean, is that really what we're getting? And and how big a how big a factor do you think that is in in this overall decline we're seeing? Well, I mean, I I agree with Carl. I think the numbers support the idea that there's something there that that there is, and we've known this for some time, right? That academia had a real sort of liberal leftist tint to it. And we've seen, you know, what's gone on in college campuses over the last few years with the sort of, you know, restrictions of free speech and, and all of that stuff. And, and now that's made its way into newsrooms and corporate boardrooms across the country. So, I think there's something to it. I do think, you know, young voters, this is the most progressive generation that we've ever had. And, and you know, John Delavope and his poll at, at Harvard sort of supports that idea. And, and we also see there was a Suffolk USA Today poll out earlier this week that showed there's just a massive partisan gap on the question of whether you think America is a great country or not. Republicans are in the 85, 87% range. Democrats were in the 38, 39% range. So you do have a sense that that there are two different views of America. You either think this is the greatest, you know, the land of opportunity and the most free, most culturally diverse uh, place on earth, or you think that America is, your view is that America was founded with its original sin. It has lived with that sin, hasn't fully corrected it. The system is inherently bad and racist and needs to be sort of burnt down and rebuilt uh, according to sort of the, the new the new thinking. And, and that's kind of where the dynamic is, which is really interesting, you know, as we sit here just four months from a, from a presidential election. And so, Mohammed, this gap uh, between Republicans, Democrats, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, one of the interesting things is that it's a big gap, but it's also there's been a decline in Republicans saying that they are proud to be an American. It's a big gap, but it's a gap that's mostly become most dramatic really in the last couple of years. So when you look at the Obama years, over 50 percent of Democrats in 20, what is it, 13 um, 
said the same, said they were extremely proud. So part of it is kind of the dynamic right now, but that decline among Republicans, I mean, is significant. A 9% drop is noticeable. What, what, do, you, what do you attribute that, that to? Um, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard to, to nail it to one reason. I think a, America is obviously experiencing several crises all at once. Um, these data mostly predate the focus of the George Floyd situation, so I wouldn't attribute too much to that. Although there is a plethora of data um, on Americans' dissatisfaction with the state of really black life in America, whether you ask black Americans or non-black Americans. Um, so, but these predate that. I think maybe part of it is uh, the COVID situation. Part of it certainly is the economy. We know that the economy is always the most important policy issue for voters. And it's equally as important for people who support the president or people that don't support the president. But what we know is that people tend to be more positive on their assessments of the economy if their president is in office. Um, I think when you see what happened with the U.S. economy over the past two months, it's hard to imagine that some people, you know, wouldn't kind of step away from that partisan knee-jerk reaction um, and have a different assessment of how things are going in the country. But I think it's a lot of factors. Many of the things that Tom and Carl are probably mentioned are probably true for those segments of society. Um, you know, the United States obviously is is a huge country with a lot of different pockets. You know, the other thing we didn't talk about, just in addition to education, is really age. You know, one of the things I've been thinking about as we look at our data just over the past 20, 30 years from the U.S. is if a lot of your adult life sort of predated the economic crisis of 2008 or a lot of your worldview was developed then, you really saw a very different country than you see now. And the data show that. So whether it's the 90s and sort of the era of unlimited opportunity, the economic growth, the social mobility, a lot of those things have really changed since 2008. A lot of the focus on the income distribution situation in the United States has increased. And it's, you know, it's not a shocker that for example, 2008 to today, 10% fewer Americans say that they are invested in the stock market, even though when we asked the question, the stock market had doubled since 2008. So the stock market doubles in value. You have fewer Americans saying they're investing in the stock market at a time when the whole country is pretty much having conversation about the haves and the have-nots. It's important to also remember that Donald Trump entered politics talking about the global elite. So the notion that the system is rigged and uh, there are those who are winning more than they should be and most of us are losing is not strictly a left-of-center notion in this country. And I think that's an important part of Donald Trump's uh, success in the last election. Let me uh, jump in. I, I do think, you know, we, as we talk about why Republicans are feeling less proud of their country, on some level, it's 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 not, it's totally understandable. I mean, people of all stripes are looking around and thinking, you know, holy shit, the wheels have really come off. We've got multiple crises going on and we've got riots in the street and we've got statues coming down and we've got people getting sick. And, and certainly some of the, I think, Republicans' support for Trump has faded away over his they don't think he's handled the the COVID crisis, but I, I think there's another section of his supporters who don't approve of the job he's doing, or maybe are dissatisfied with the direction of the country, or aren't feeling as patriotic because they don't feel like he's stood up and been strong enough to you know really stand forth and and you know stop some of this stuff that's gone on culturally speaking. 
um, with the statues and and all this stuff, and and they feel like it's gotten out of control, and they wish he you know he would have given a big speech and really laid down the law or set down a marker, um, and that this stuff is going on because he sort of abdicated his duties in that regard. So but there's no question the mood of the public is really sour. I mean, more people think this country's going in the wrong direction. A lot of factors in play, obviously, but on some level, I mean, I think we all look around, and it, it's been a really unprecedented last. What I don't know, it feels like years, but it's only been a, a couple of months. Yeah. Tom, can I, can I, uh, Andy, can I just jump in on one point? Because I, there's a data point that we have from this summer that really highlights uh, what we just heard, which is when you ask people, are you satisfied or dissatisfied with the way things are going in the United States? We're at a four year low right now. But Republicans, since January 2020, they were at 80% satisfaction. In June, they were at 39% satisfaction. So it really gets to the point that Tom was making about, you know, the country's just going through a really tough time. And it's kind of hard to ignore all that and just sort of stick to your partisan glasses. Carl? Yeah, I agree with that. I agree exactly. I mean, if you're if you're a discerning person and you look at how this country has behaved during the uh, pandemic, you know, cascading series of failures at the CDC that, that that agency doesn't know what it's doing. Donald Trump stumbling around, you know, first saying this thing will never come here. We have a control at six cases. People who are lionized like Tony Fauci, I respect telling people don't don't wear masks. You'll just you'll do it wrong. That's the initial response. Um, the Democrats, you know, basically trying to score partisan points at every turn, giving money to the wrong people. We still don't have tests. Meanwhile, we've crashed the economy um, and, you know, statues of abolitionists are being de- defaced by mobs and police departments aren't doing anything about it. And the Democrats aren't saying anything about it. If you look at all that and you think this country's headed in the right direction, um, you, you have a very low bar. <laughs> well, and add to that the fact that the way that this played out with you know people not being allowed to see or say goodbye to their loved ones they weren't allowed to go to church they weren't where they were told to stay home you know but when the protests happened all these same governors and blue states and other folks were like hey this is totally cool let's go um, really demolished a lot of the the credibility of the of the public health experts and you know i think that's also played into it I want to just shift a little bit. And, and uh, Tom, because you brought up uh, monuments as part of this, Joe Biden had his first press conference. This is the first time he met with the press since April 12th. So it's a long time for someone who's running for president to not be asked questions by the press. But he was asked about the monuments. And I just want to read what he said. It speaks to some of this. He said, I can understand the anger and anguish that people feel by having for years and years been under the statue of Robert E. Lee, if you're an African-American. Then he said, it's always better to do it peacefully. Do it, meaning remove these statues. The elected officials where those statues are have a responsibility to to remove, put them in museums, get them down. But don't be surprised if someone pulls down the statue of Jefferson Davis. It's better that they do not, but it's fundamentally different than grabbing Jefferson off his chair. Carl, it seems like this is a almost a tacit endorsement of the kind of mob action we've seen in that he's saying that there are some monuments that are okay to be torn down, uh, some that aren't. If that's the case, who's going to draw those distinctions and is this going to be a problem for him? Andy, I'll answer your question, but first I want you and Tom to admit that I was right last week when I said you, we were t- Tom was saying that Biden should get out there and speak. And I said, no, he shouldn't. He'll just make it worse. So. <laughs> He, this man should say nothing. 
until he, he shouldn't say a word until he's until his next speech ought to be his inaugural address. <laughs> um, but to, but I'll answer your question. Um, you're right. Look, he's basically giving power to the mob to decide, and he's saying. You know, when the mob goes after Jefferson Davis, I'm with the mob. When they go after Jefferson, I'm not with the mob. Well, but the mob's never going to go by Joe Biden's preferences, and a mob will never be satisfied. I don't just mean these Antifa people or these fringe characters out pulling down statues. The New York Times, this is a tweet from the New York Times. Uh, It sounds like the Babylon Bee, but it's not. It's the New York Times. Mount Rushmore was built on land that belonged to the Lakota tribe and sculpted by a man who had strong bonds with the Ku Klux Klan. It features the faces of two U.S. presidents who were slaveholders. Those anonymous presidents, by the way, are George Washington and Thomas Jefferson, the guy that Biden named. So once you acknowledge that you're going to be able to destroy statues or go after monuments, where does that end? You know, in my hometown of San Francisco, they took down Grant's statue, U.S. Grant. So, you, you don't no. you have to have a process and you have to be able to talk about it, because if you talk about it, other things come out. Nuance. You know, nobody's perfect. You, you, you weigh Jefferson. He gave us the Declaration of Independence. He gave, according to this is Frederick Douglass, who said this, not me. He gave us the means to overcome the original sin. And we did. So George Washington fought the British and created the presidency. So if you're in a debate, if you're in a city council or a governor or a political campaign, you make these points, you weigh it. If you just give power to a hundred people with axes and, and ropes and spray paint cans, then you've lost, you, you know, that's anarchy. So I, I just think that Joe Biden fell into a trap there. I don't, they think that was a clever answer. I don't. Tom, what do you think? Well, as usual, Carl has a very nuanced position. I mean, I thought generally speaking, you know, I thought his his answer was. I mean, I thought it was good for him to obviously distinguish between and and say that the government has a, a duty and right to protect, you know, public statues, including you know Thomas Jefferson and, and other folks. I do think it was sort of a limp answer in the sense that he didn't come out affirmatively and lead and make a statement on it. He waited until he was asked and and then responded. Personally, I wish he would have come out, you know, a little bit more forcefully, I think and and the same for President Trump. I think I think this is a moment where the country really needs uh someone to lead on the issue. So, is it going to hurt him in the long run? I, you know, I don't know. There's still 4 months left and we'll see where this thing goes and and how he has to you know, thread that needle because the radical elements of of his base are in some places and in some ways ascendant, and he can't afford to necessarily you know turn them off by by coming on too strong and making too much of a you know public declaration of trying to occupy the middle ground. On the other hand, he he really does need those centrist and squishy voters in in the swing states that are going to matter who want nothing to do with tearing down statues and and Mount Rushmore and all that. So. We shall see uh, where this debate goes. This might be just the conventional wisdom, but the idea is that these are opportunities where Biden has what we call sister soldier moments, back to what Bill Clinton said about the rapper uh, in his first campaign, um, which was you know, an opportunity to stake out sort of a middle ground. This seemed to be an opportunity to do that. Um, they must have thought about this answer. They knew they were going to get this question. You know, does he run a danger of not grabbing that middle ground, which was his stock and trade, at least in the primaries? Look, I think Tom nailed it. Similarly with Trump, right? Each uh, party now, each person is going to have to kind of balance what the further elements of their base really want them to say and do. 
uh, versus what the more mainstream elements of their base want them to say and do. So I think we're going to watch uh, both of these gentlemen sort of do that dance uh, in opposite directions with these issues. Obviously, these are the hardest issues America has ever had to deal with and is still dealing with, really. Part of the fascination to me, I actually, I went to law school at Washington and Lee where Robert E. Lee is buried uh, in Lee Chapel. So as a kid from LA, I've really lived all this at a very later age because I thought everybody in America was living like people do in LA. Um, (laughs) But one thing that really struck me is Think about another country that had a civil war where the leaders of the losing side of that civil war still have statues standing uh, and streets named after them. Just it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing to really contemplate. The other thing is, um, you know, we talked about education earlier. A, a big part of the conversation, I think, that really hasn't happened in classrooms in this country is what the civil war was about. I mean, it's his comment really gets to that conundrum or that cognitive dissonance. Was the Civil War about ending slavery or was it about maintaining the union under a certain economic system? Obviously, it was about both. Um, and it happened because of both. But the way we tell the story and teach young people about it in this country, I think, um, has a lot to do with why there is that cognitive dissonance between what do we do with the Jefferson statue or what do we do with the Robert E. Lee statue? Well, that war was about slavery. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. But Muhammad and I are both from California. You remind me of a great story. So you went to law school in Lexington, Virginia. How did you find that town? Oh, man, I want up you. Me and my brother went to law school in Lexington, Virginia. <laughs> um, it is one of the most beautiful places to live and study the law. I had a wonderful experience there. Um, I just lo- interviewed one of my former professors from there, actually, for the Gallup podcast. Um, and it was uh, it was quite an education. Um, I vis- I visited Monticello more times than I can count. Um, you see a part of American history that you really don't experience uh, out in the West. But that being said, you know, out in the West, there's a part of American history you can experience that you don't on the East Coast, which is the indigenous uh, experience of the people who were here before um, and what remains. So. I think just if you're listening, no matter where you are, I'd encourage you to consider that you don't know everything there is to know about these situations. Go to these places. If you're in the D.C. area, one of the coolest places to go is a Harper's Ferry, where John Brown and the group that were with him basically were uh, accosted for they were captured, unleashing they were, a slave rebellion. They were captured um, these, by, Rob, by Robert E. Lee. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and it's amazing that that same location, because there was an armory there, became a really critical point during the Civil War. You know, whether you're on the East or West, there's history all around us. The more we engage it and really try to face it without trying to blame somebody and understand what happened, I think will make that number uh, on how proud we are to be Americans uh, climb back up again. You've reminded me of two things, Mohammed. One is, I don't think they're doing it this year because of the, the pandemic. But usually on July 4th at Monticello, what they do is swear immigrants in. They, there's like hundreds of them, and they take the oath of office, not the oath, the oath of American citizenship on the grounds at Monticello. And it's, I wrote about it several years ago. It's one of the most moving experiences I've ever seen as an American. Uh, Absolutely. And the, the other vignette I'll tell you, you'll appreciate. I was in, in Lexington, where Washington Lee University is, and there was a docent there in the chapel, and she was telling some couple um, they were, I think, Japanese. And she was saying, oh, Robert E. Lee 
hated slavery. That's the way she phrased it. <laughs> and I said, hey, lady, you're getting out over your skis there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will tell you this about Washington and Lee. I've seen Angela Davis give an amazing speech about racial justice in Lee Chapel, standing right in front of that marble slab where he's buried. So, you know, there there's a tough history there, but Today, what's happening in that location is absolutely awesome, um, and I'd encourage everybody to go down there and visit it. Lexington is a great place. just want to talk for a minute about President Trump going out to uh, South Dakota, to Mount Rushmore. Carl, is this, is this a good look? Do you think this is a, a smart move, or is this just a, a photo op? Yeah, well, it is a photo op, but photo ops can be important for presidents. They send symbols. I have thought from from 2015 that the reaction against political correctness in this country uh, against excessive political correctness some of the really silly and ex, you know exaggerated things that we see is one of the reasons he was elected president and i think it's an underrated reason i think it was a very important part of what he of what he stood for and he's going back to something that worked for him in 2016 and to that to that extent it makes sense for them as a campaign but the stories move beyond that. I mean, I, in a way, he's the president of the United States. Yes, Mount Rushmore is a perfect uh, symbol of the excess of the left. And by that now, the New York Times has now decided they're going to be on the fringe left. In that regard, it makes sense. But the economy is reeling. I live in Northern Virginia. We still can't get a, a coronavirus test. He's the president of the United States. And the federal government is failing the American people in many obvious ways. And so in a, in that sense, to me, it's a sideshow. You know, what he ought to be doing is governing. Tom? We're going to be going as a family out to Mount Rushmore in a couple of weeks. So I'm just, you know, hoping it's still standing by then and there's <laughs> no traces of any virus or anything. It is obviously political and it's, it's, it, it is a photo op. But to Carl's point, I do think there is a sense out there that, I mean, here's the, the real frustrating thing is that when you actually talk about the issue that that ignited this entire thing, George Floyd's murder and whether we need police reform and and we need to address excess use of force and police brutality, that's like a 95 to 5 issue. I mean, there's nobody in the country that disagrees with that. And the fact that we can't get it done in Congress because of politics, that we can't solve the problem that everybody agrees is a problem and needs to be fixed, we have moved past that now, and we've entered into the territory, as I said before, where, where the tribal instincts are really strong. It's now whether you think this country is a good country or not a good country. I think that plays actually into, to, to Carl's point, I think that plays into President Trump's hand. I think the Democrats, if they continue this and, and if the you know BLM protesters continue to overreach and talk about Mount Rushmore and talk about white Jesus needing, you know, all the statues and stained glass windows need to come down and things like that, that they are going to alienate the folks that they need to win the election uh, for Joe Biden. And so in that sense, it's smart politics on Trump's part, um, because as I said, it's becoming, I think, an integral part of the of the 2020 campaign. And I don't know, as this continues to ramp up, there doesn't seem to be any off ramp. There doesn't seem to be any way to turn the temperature dial down before November, it's only going to go up. And and again, if the Democrats and, and Joe Biden isn't able to, if he's not able to ride this tiger, and then it could be very politically dangerous for Democrats, I think. 
Well, you know what? I'm looking at the clock. We're just about out of time. I want to thank you all for joining me today, Carl Cannon, Tom Bevan, and Mohammed Yunus. Be sure to check out his podcast from Gallup. This has been the Real Clear Politics Takeaway for Friday, July 3rd. And if you want to find out more, check out realclearpolitics.com. And also check out the new Real Clear Politics podcast page where our editors curate the best political podcasts of the week. Put them up there. You can check them out. As ever, thank you for listening. Happy Fourth of July. Until next time, for Real Clear Politics, I'm Andrew Walworth.